Tell me, baby, can you stand the rain? New edition. Yes, the voices in my head are telling me it's time for another episode of Felonious Pundits. I am Kintan Svensgaard, and along with me, as per usual, say hello to AJ Mass. Hello, hello. If I like the episode, who cares what you like? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Hey, everybody. This is a podcast about the television program Criminal Minds. We recap and take an in-depth look at an episode of the show each week. I have never seen the show before, so I'm giving you sort of that first watch perspective. And AJ is a longtime fan of the show, a grizzled veteran, if you will, who has uh, seen each and every episode many a time. So he'll be giving you that perspective on it. And uh, I'm looking forward to this week's episode, AJ. Yeah, I mean, uh, I want to know, have you ever seen The Rain? Ask Missy Elliott. I'm sure she has. Thank you. Uh, This week, what are we recapping? We are recapping season one, episode 17 of Criminal Minds, entitled A Real Rain. It originally aired on March 22nd, 2006. It was directed by Gloria Muzio and written by Chris Mundy. So let's just start. (laughs) Why don't we? He, I bet he wrote it on a Tuesday. <laughs> oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. <laughs> and it aired on a Wednesday? I don't know. All right. This week, we open our episode on a rainy night in New York City. We zoom into an apartment window and we see a troubled dude in his underwear rocking back and forth on a chair, holding his hands to his Never head. Never a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. If, if you're in your underwear on the rocker, well, I don't know. I don't want to get into assumptions, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, he's holding his hands to his head and we hear whispering voices kind of like the the lost voices in the in the forest on the island so uh, we understand quickly pretty quickly that this man is trying not to hear the voices Uh, he duct tapes some aluminum foil to the windows puts on some clothes including the standard unsub so you can't see my face dark hoodie and uh, he heads out into the city fingers a twitching like a madman He gets into a cab and they start driving and he ignores all of the cabbie's attempts at small talk. Like a true New Yorker, the cabbie tries to trash talk the Knicks, but I would say the Larry Brown reference does date the episode a wee bit. Just just a tad. I think they've gone through 47 coaches since then. (laughs) We can still hear the voices whispering and we see our unsub's fingers twitching. In a quick cut, we see the driver's... uh, hack license and it says his name is Walter Durbin they pull up next to some deserted looking area by an elevated subway stop the unsub gets out the back seat walks up to the driver's window and says nothing as he pulls out a gun and fires oh it's a very sweet start to an episode it's just like okay crazy guy kill somebody white flash boom we're into it yeah and I love the the unsub hoodie that is like i think if they didn't market that for criminal minds you know cbs 
I know this is after the fact, but that would have been a good one. <laughs> the- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tommy Hilfiger's on somebody. <laughs> so uh, we again see a picture of the hack license for Mr. Durbin. But now uh, when we zoom out, we're looking at a large monitor uh, in the BAU office and Hotch is detail- detailing the case to the team. Our cabbie was Walter Durbin, 52. His body was found in his cab in East Harlem. He was blindfolded, shot once in the chest, but the actual death was actually caused by a knife stab through his ear. The unsub then broke off the handle and left the blade lodged in his brain. JJ, Fun! (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Very nice. JJ is there. She says it's the same signature as two other murders. Uh, We have Rachel Holman, 24, who was found in her apartment three weeks ago on the Lower East Side. And Kabay Serrani, 30 years old, found two weeks later inside his painting studio in Hell's Kitchen. Hotch says different locations, different victimology. It's possible they're looking for someone who hunts indiscriminately. Yes, although, I mean, if they found him in Hell's Kitchen, I would investigate Gordon Ramsay immediately. (laughs) (laughs) The NYPD has no leads. This unsub kills at night. There are no witnesses. They've uh, withheld the victim's details, so the press doesn't realize there's a connection right now between the murders. Morgan mentions with no discernible victim patterns, the killer is practically impossible to stop. Reed points out the original Zodiac killer continually changed his victim pattern, and Gideon says exactly, and he killed for 30 years without ever being caught. We zoom in and flash cut on several different grisly crime scene photos. People stabbed in the ear, people bloodied up. Doesn't look pleasant, I'll tell you that. And then we go to credits. Welcome back. We come back to see the BAU jet flying uh, over the familiar NYC skyline, and we get our opening quote from Gideon. W.H. Auden said, Murder is unique in that it abolishes the party it injures, so that society must take the place of the victim and on his behalf demand atonement or grant forgiveness. Okay. Okay. I'm picking up what you're putting down on. <laughs> mm-hmm. We cut to inside the jet and the team is going over the case. And uh, Elle happens to mention how this wasn't how she envisioned coming home to New York. And JJ wants to go shopping at Barney's. Reed mentions that he's looking forward to seeing New York. And they all can't believe he's never been to New York City. Morgan is like, dude, it's a one-hour flight, three-hour train ride. How is this even possible? Hotch thought Gideon was going to talk to Reed about taking some vacation time, and Gideon's all, what's vacation time? Yeah, I do want want to point out here that this scene, I I really wasn't paying attention to any of the dialogue in this scene because uh, Reed, Elle, and JJ are playing a game of cards on the plane. And I was fascinated by this because I can't for the life of me figure out what game they were playing. Because <laughs> Elle has five cards. She, uh, she's she got a pair of sevens. And she's set up like poker. Okay. Pair of sevens with the three other cards there. And she's getting ready to put down her three cards. But Reed and JJ both have like 11 cards in their hands. I think they're playing <laughs> rummy. <laughs> 
Good lord! And, yeah. and then during the course, of the, the course of the, of the of the action, like JJ continues to play Rummy while Reed is like washing cards and pulling ten more into his hand. Like they're all playing three different games of cards because I, I guarantee you this is like a long shoot, and they were getting goofy at this point, and they didn't think anyone was going <laughs> to notice. But I noticed because again, L thinks they're playing poker. <laughs> And that's what we do as felonious pundits. We notice these things, or I should say, you notice those things, AJ. It's just, it's, you know, when you've seen the show a few times, you start looking in the background for stuff, and this one just made me laugh out loud in total confusion. Like, what are you doing? Uh, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, as usual, though, Hotch is there to stop all of, fr- of all the frivolity. Uh, <laughs> He starts going over the case. He wants to know what they know. Uh, So they start off by saying blitz attackers are almost always male. Morgan makes a dated joke about him getting picked up by a cabbie in New York City. So we not we know he's not a brother. Uh, (laughs) It's a joke. Maybe that's not a dated joke, but it seems like a dated joke. joke. But it's not really a joke. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Reed says the fact that he kills in a major urban center without detection indicates he's highly intelligent. But Ella's like, well, how intelligent can he be? Blitz attackers are textbook disorganized killers. Uh, Hot says, yeah, but this guy brings along a murder kit. He's got his blindfold. He's got his knife. How disorganized can that be? Gideon says they'll split up and take the last two crime scenes. In the meantime, they should talk about the things that they can't agree on on the case. The blindfold apparently means one of two things, likely. It's either the unsub might blindfold them initially in case he's unsure if he's going to kill them or not. um, So they won't recognize him. Or the other choice, and what's more likely in this case, since the cabbie was not blindfolded while he was driving this guy, obviously, the unsub feels remorse, doesn't want his victim to look at him as he's about to kill him. Yeah, again, another case where I really like when they say, look, it's got to be one of X number of things and we're already eliminating these things. Like, I, I think that's a great thing to do at the beginning of the episode. Uh, and we, okay, let's focus. Let's focus. Somebody who has remorse. Okay, boom, let's get to the crime scenes. And how do yes. we get there, Kintad? <laughs> TBP. What? TBP, we travel by photo. Oh, no, not another Kodak (laughs) Airlines. (laughs) Yes, I'm going to start just, hopefully you've been with us long enough. I can use these shortcuts like the BAUSUV is the B-A-U-S-U-V. TBP is traveling by photo. At least that's how it's going to be in my notes. So I I hope you all uh, uh, can can follow along with that. Uh, But we TBP to the crime scene. And now Gideon and Reed are standing outside the cab and they are there with the local detective who was played by an actress I'm very familiar with because I've seen her twice on Broadway. And I also remember her from when I was a kid. I used to watch soap all my children with my mother. Uh, This actress's name is Tanya Pinkins. Uh, She was very good in the show Carolyn or Change, Caroline or Change. I, I remember I will say that that's my recommendation. Uh, but anyway, she's here as our local detective, Detective Bear. And which did you choose by the end? Caroline or Change? <laughs> <laughs> well, Change, of course, of course. Anyway, Gideon uh, looks up at a funky looking, funky looking building across the way and asks her what's there. She says nothing. It's been vacant for a while. 
Reed points out that the train runs express and doesn't even stop at that station at the time of night that this occurred. The guy's last fare apparently was logged in as an address on Church Street, which is an entry point for Brooklyn. And there's a spot there that cabbies like to stop for coffee before their overnight shift. So they know that's how he got the cab. And Gideon says, yeah, this guy is definitely not disorganized. Yep. We, you know, it's, it's, it's clear that we are uh, getting a guy here who is an enigma, a puzzle. It's like, he's, a, he's this, but he's this, he's that, but he's this, he's Caroline or he's changed. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cut to Rachel Holman's apartment. And that's where Morgan and Elle are uh, searching the place. Morgan holds up a change of address card that hasn't been filled out and says this girl has just moved in. Elle says so that she doesn't know the neighbors. They wouldn't be ones to check in on her. Morgan also found a printout of a local AA meeting list and says she must have been starting a new life. Hotch is there, too. He points out the locations where she was shot. And then where she was stabbed. And from that, they're able to deduce that the killer was actually waiting for her in the house. Uh, He shot her when she came in. She tried to get away. And then he jumped on her and stabbed her. A cop that's there asks why he wouldn't have just shot her again. And they say, again, there's a number of possibilities. Elle tells her it could be that, you know, the ear is the softest part of the brain. That's why you stabbed there. Morgan says, well, snapping the blade is a common technique from prison shankings. It's so you can't pull the blade back out, Uh, which I was glad for that information. That was it. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, And then the cop asks, what's the other possibility? And then we cut back to Reed and Gideon talking to Detective Barrett. Reed is telling her about Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris, who drove ice picks into their victims' heads and broke off the handle. It's possible this unsub is some kind of serial killer groupie who likes to imitate, you know, famous serial killers. Another cop asks if this guy is an ex-con or some nut job with an Amazon account. And Gideon says this particular unsub presents a mixed profile. (laughs) The cop says, "Uh, no offense, but what good is that? (laughs) Yeah, and then from there it cuts to L at the other crime scene who says, "Well, it's just a starting point." And I just, I just thought the pacing of this was really cool because this episode is the first we've had in New York City, and the fast cut, mm-hmm. cut, quick, 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 pop, pop, pop. Like it felt like New York City. Like it, it felt like the writer was really trying hard to change up the rhythm uh, to kind of give you that New York City feel. And I, I really appreciated that. I also appreciated the fact that it was cops asking these questions and not just L or JJ in the scene asking the lines that the cops said here. It was like, yeah, use the cop to ask the questions and don't make our regulars seem stupid and like they don't know when we know they know. Just this, is, just the writing in this sequence here was really good. Excellent points. I agree 100%. I mean, we know that Ella is the newbie, but at this point, she's been them with them for a little while. Give her a break. She's She's been studying her books. Come on. Yeah. 17 episodes. Come on. Chop, chop. <laughs> <laughs> and then after that, they cut back to Gideon, who's continuing the thread. So he again repeats, this guy has a high degree of organization. That coupled with the fact that he hunts at night means he probably has a steady job. And then we're back at the police station. So another fast cut. And they're back, and now they're telling this to 
the cops that yeah, are assembled it's there. It's profile time, which is, which is again, it's really yeah. cool, the pacing of this. Yep. A cop says, uh, so what you're telling us is we're looking for a small, angry white guy with a day job. And another cop jokes, hey, maybe it's Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> I, I always laugh at that kind of stuff. He got me. He can say those stupid jokes. Yeah, no, it was good. And then the, the, the cop in charge kind of like, mm-hmm. stop it. This is serious. Yeah. But even Gideon's laughing. So, like, you got Gideon to laugh. Yeah. Which surprised me, but you know, Gideon is always a mystery and enigma himself. Yeah, he uh, a when nice I think profile. he's going to be serious, <laughs> yeah. When I think he's going to be serious, he's serious, uh, he's funny, and uh, vice versa. But it, Gideon says, you know, they're they're right. There's a lot of things that they still don't know. They do know this. These aren't blitz attacks. They're too controlled. They are absolutely executions. Reed explains to them what a signature is, just in case. Uh, this is our first time watching Criminal Minds. And Gideon says, in other words, he's not going to stop killing until they catch him. The uh, Detective Barrett tells the cops to hit the streets and keep a watch out. And as the cops are milling out, JJ and Hotch walk in and introduce themselves to Detective Barrett. She shakes hands with them and JJ starts saying she talked to her point man and told him how important it was to keep the crime scene details under wraps. But that message would be pretty helpful if it came out of Detective Bennett's mouth as well. She agrees with that. And Hotch says, if this guy is who we think he is, we're talking terror like New York hasn't seen since Son of Sam. Indeed. And let me tell you, as someone who was a kid in the era of Son of Sam, that was not a fun time to be in New York City whatsoever. And it was just even magnified the fact my last name is Mass. And the headlines for weeks and months was mass murderer on the loose. You try growing <laughs> up when you're a kid who doesn't know nothing. Look in the phone book. I looked in the phone book. There were like eight people named Mass. And I'm counting the killings and going, it's just a matter of time before they get to me. It was not a fun time. <laughs> that is actually frightening to guess because as a child, you don't, you don't yeah, know. Yeah, I'm telling you. It's, it's, oof, I don't understand the last names don't mean that. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh that was before I came to New York. By the time I got got here, uh, we were going into the uh, Disneyfying of Times Square and et cetera, et cetera. Early nineties, mid nineties, basically. But it's still important to keep your head on a swivel. <laughs> yes, <laughs> as, as 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 Barrett said as they were leaving, try, trying to come up with a Hill Street Blues type line that didn't, you know, hey, let's be careful out there. Hey, keep your head on a swivel. I don't think that's going to catch on. <laughs> <laughs> no. So next, we cut to a church, and we see there's a woman there finishing up her prayers. She turns to leave. She sees our man there in the hoodie and uh, asks if she can help him. But he, of course, he hasn't talked yet this whole episode, so he's not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we hear those whispers, uh, but unfortunately, people around him just think there's something wrong with him. Well, they wrong, uh, which is <laughs> well true. <laughs> True, uh, which is what this lady thinks. She looks down. She notices fingers twitching. She asks him if he's okay. Uh, and then I, I feel like she thought maybe it's better I don't talk to this guy. And she sort of bounces at this point. Yes. Which was a smart move on her part. The man, uh, our unsub, dips his fingers into the holy water and he walks over into the confessional. The priest opens the confessional window and looks over 
And then we are we see our unsub has a gun out and he shoots. Yeah, and I mean, I will say this. At least we can now eliminate potentially a vampire from the profile because he dipped his hand in holy water and it, it didn't affect him at all. So cross vampire off the list. <laughs> that was my number one suspect, AJ, <laughs> but we'll see. I've been watching too much Angel and Buffy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we cut back and it's a little bit later and Bennett is walking with Hotch and Gideon. And she's saying, so this is where terror starts. Uh, I guess recalling Hotch's uh, line. And Gideon asks her how they found the priest. She says the night janitor. He didn't see anything, but he remembered a parishioner who was there earlier. So they do have a potential witness. The detective points out a pew where the lady we saw before is seated. They walk past her and continue to the body of the priest who is blindfolded. And... Gideon says, this is the first public killing. Uh, our guy is getting bolder. We get a close-up of the stab wound to the ear. Hotch says, and, and this guy didn't change his methodology from before. He's extremely meticulous. And for this unsub, the presentation is every bit as important as the kill. Ellen Morgan are questioning the witness that we saw before, and she's saying as soon as the police asked her if she saw anything, she had a sickly feeling. She saw him, um, not his face, because of the hoodie, and he kept his face down. Morgan says, yeah, but something about his behavior unsettled you. She says she apologizes. She should have known. And Elle says, there's no way you could possibly know something like this. I I don't know. Maybe she, uh, she kind of knew something was yeah, up. Yeah, but she couldn't have known but, that he was going to go kill the priest. Like, obviously. Yeah. He, he, she was yeah, we're not blaming out, her for that. Yeah. Oh, listen, yes, that's it. You're right. You should have known. Take her away, boys. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the lady says it, it almost feels like he couldn't hear her, like he was just in his own world. Gideon is uh, there all of a sudden. He says, you spoke to him. She says she just asked if he was okay. He didn't speak. He didn't even look up. And the woman couldn't stop watching his hands. They were moving like he was playing a piano or fingering a rosary. She says he could have killed her. Elle says not unless he's not killing people at random. Morgan says, you know what? Whatever these people have in common, that's what got them killed. Hey, Good. there you go. Police work. <laughs> Good place to start. Um <laughs> Reed is looking at the priest's body and he asks a cop if it would be possible to slide the thing out of his ear. He, 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 he leans in way too close as the coroner's doing his thing here. He's like practically elbowing. Excuse me, let me get in there. Can I, excuse me, can I, can I, see? <laughs> can you just pull that yeah. out for me, please? Reed, put on the gloves and get in there. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah, that, that was uncomfortable. But um, meanwhile, the witness is telling the team that she thought maybe... Perhaps this guy was uncomfortable being in this parish. Gideon perks up at that and says, well, what do you mean? She says, because of all that dot, dot, dot business. Uh, she doesn't say the dot, dot, dot. But we all know what the dot, dot, dot is. They don't have to, you know what? They don't have to say a word yeah. at this point. We all know what she's talking about. <laughs> yep. Gideon looks at the detective and Detective Bennett says, a year ago, this rector was indicted for pedophilia. Lady says a lot of people stopped worshiping you there, think? but <laughs> yeah. But to her, Father Bremen was tried in a court of law and found innocent, and it wasn't her place to question that. Okay. 
And again, I would just like to point out here, he wasn't found innocent. He was found not guilty. So let's... There's a lot of that thrown around this way. Well, they were found innocent. They were found innocent. They were found, they were found not guilty. No one is ever found innocent. That's not how the court system works. Yes. They may be uh, innocent, but they weren't found innocent. Correct. Reed walks up and uh, says that this guy is not just using any knife. This thing is made out of flint. AJ, <laughs> the next thing L says is, <laughs> as in stone? And I'm like... We get it, L. You know about the cartoon. <laughs> that, that was the first thought that came to my head. I mean, uh, it, 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 the <laughs> only thing that would have made that worse is if you just said, so you mean we should be after someone named Fred or Barney? <laughs> <laughs> uh, then Reed starts going into read things about Egyptian mythology and, and the symbolism of Flint. I won't bore you with all of that. In fact, Gideon and Hotch seemed a little bored and walked away from him to <laughs> yes, go look you. at the body <laughs> while he was still finishing his uh, statement. Uh, Gideon puts on a glove and starts to pull the blindfold off the priest. He looks up at Hotch and says, anything strike you as strange? And Hotch says, yeah, all the blood is on the inside. Mm. We cut to a phone ringing and we're in Garcia's office. Uh Hotch asks her to check all the victims and see if any were ever charged with a crime. She clickety-clacks a moment and brings up the mugshot of Kaba Sarani, who was arrested for vehicular manslaughter, tried but found not guilty in July of 2002. She clickety-clacks some more, finds our next victim, Rachel Holman, convicted of cocaine possession, 2004. Hotch says, wait, no acquittals? Garcia says... Oh, wait a minute. On the same case, she was also up on charges for administering a fatal dose of heroin to her boyfriend, and the jury found her not guilty. Garcia wonders out loud if they can go three for three as she clickety-clacks her record up for the cabbie, Walter Durbin. And yes, AJ, he was arrested for spousal abuse, and the charges were dropped mid-trial just four months previous to this. Hotch says, oh, you're a genius. And Garcia's all, you're just saying that because it's true. But Hotch is all business again. <laughs> like, he changes on a dime. He's just like, thanks, and hangs up the well, phone. Well, yeah, when, 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 he picked, when he picked up, the, the when he called her in the first place, and she's like, you know, he says, can, can you find it? And she's like, want to time me? And Hotch laughs. Yeah. He, he, he chuckled. Garcia got harsh, Hotch to laugh. But yeah, I was like, okay, playtime's over. Back on the game. <laughs> That was my one show of emotion for the next three months. <laughs> yes, exactly. Gideon is explaining the blindfold thing from before. He's saying if the victim was blindfolded first, the blood would have flowed all over the blindfold. So he must put it on after he kills them. Hotch comes up and tells Gideon about the fact that all three of the victims were charged with a felony and all three were found innocent. And in a weird kind of snotty moment for Elle, she turns around to Detective Bennett and is like, uh, and that didn't show up on your radar? Uh, luckily, Detective Bennett has the proper amount of Elle disdain in her voice when she says, acquittals? No. <laughs> she asks, she does ask why it's important. And Gideon says, because we have a new profile. I, I was a little disappointed. I mean, Clearly, it's important. It's something they all have in common. I'm not sure why she would ask why that was important. Uh, yeah, well, 
Exactly, but I mean, I think it's also comes as like she was just attacked by Al verbally, right. and like, just like, hey, wait a second, that's not important. Like, hey, stop it, leave me alone. <laughs> I'm doing a good job. You know, it's 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 one of those things. I think she's just hey, a little help, a little help. Like, oh, okay, it is important. So she's wrong. She's right. She, it just wasn't really written very cleanly there. But yeah, obviously, you wouldn't have acquittals showing yeah. up. But what you let's look for people who are innocent of things. <laughs> yeah, that's not what you think. That's the and, assumption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, so we're back to the police station, and it's time for that new profi- profile that Gideon was talking about. Now we believe these killings aren't random. They may, might be dealing with the vigilante. The unsub shoots his victims first in order to subdue them, and then the flint knife provides an efficient kill and symbolic retribution. Finally, the victim is blindfolded like the statue of Lady Justice. So this particular unsub displays both a heightened, almost poetic sense of right and wrong. Reed uh, chimes in at this point. He says serial vigilantes are extremely rare. The killings suggest that these cases are somehow personal. He or someone close to him is likely the victim of a violent crime. And his first killing was probably against his original attacker. Since then, he's developed an overblown sense of justice and, and in order to justify all of his killing to himself. Gideon says, because he chooses the imagery of Lady Justice, it's possible we're dealing with someone who works in or around the criminal justice system, lawyer, paralegal, bailiff, even judge. Doesn't mention one other part of the criminal justice system here, AJ. No. And I should mention that the, from the time Reed started talking, they've been doing the uh, imagery, background profile imagery that they do every time they do a profile session. Uh, yeah, although a little differently this time is that Reed and Gideon are walking around the actual room that they're in and everybody else has been black and whited out and they are in color. And this is an imaginary scenario where a, a guy who's got some cuts on his face, who, so he's a victim, he's going through some mug photos. And, and so... They're walking around this explaining that he's he's the victim that they're talking about. So he's the unsub, uh, this this person who's going to unleash uh, justice throughout the world. Vengeance, vigilanteism is here. And we get a very weird end to this sequence. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's pretty clear, too, that this guy that we're seeing in the in the fantasy image is, is a cop, right? I mean, it seems like he's just in that police station as another no, cop. I didn't, get, I didn't get him as a cop. I got, I got him just as oh. some guy. Just as, as oh. a, a okay. man on the street. That's fair. He wasn't in a, in a cop uniform, but uh, yeah. I, I just thought it looked like a police station to me. I thought, oh, it's oh, a it cop. It was the police but, station. Like I said, he was a witness to a crime against himself, and, and this is the, the triggering ah, see, inciting did, incident, I, yes. I took it the other way, but I, it makes more sense now the way the way you say it. Uh, yeah. But what doesn't so, make sense is how Gideon, as he talks, follows <laughs> follows this victim outside and says basically like he, he could be anyone and everyone, uh, and suddenly – John Malkovich, being John Malkovich style, everyone's face is is this unsub, and they're all looking at, at Gideon. It's it's really creepy. <laughs> it's creepy, but also I was a little disappointed with the CGI. It brought me back to the bird from <laughs> episode two, I think it was. Where uh, maybe I'm just spoiled by today's day and age of of CGI. I thought it looked. Uh, a little phony baloney to me, 
But yeah, oh, it's not. It's, good. it's still effective as yeah, far yeah. as. It you know, gets the freaky. point across, but I mean, even 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 being John Malkovich is a dated reference when this episode airs, so uh, a little much. So yeah, Gideon says being faceless is this guy's best defense against detection. He is everyone, and then he's back in the profile as after all that camera trickery ends, and he says one last thing: we need you to close ranks. The more details about this Kate case slip out the more he's going to feed off it and we don't want him believing he's captured the public's fear or imagination jj says uh too late <laughs> it holds up a copy <laughs> of a newspaper i think it's a new york post wannabe but a little bit later we see the paper is the new york quest yes where they have taken uh, uh cut out letters q u e and taped them over the p and the o <laughs> in a really horrible mock-up because <laughs> it is a New York Post, but it, it they've changed the name to Quest, and it's ugh. <laughs> ugh. But anyway, the New York Quest uh, afternoon edition is leading with the vigilante story. Uh, Detective Bennett wants to know how they got it. JJ says she doesn't know. Gideon says you were worried about this guy becoming another son of Sam. Now we be may, we may be dealing with the vigilante folk hero like Bernard gets. Yeah, and I will. I will give the I, as much as I just dinged them for the uh, New York Quest. At least the New York Post was the New York City newspaper that had an afternoon edition at some point. So at least they weren't mocking up the Daily News, which only did the morning edition. There was a time they don't anymore, but there was a time when they had the afternoon edition. So at least they picked the right paper for their <laughs> one. Yeah, we cut. To a little bit later, and I really like this next scene, actually, because the team is having dinner at a Chinese restaurant. And this is what I felt like was sort of another character building moment of a scene. But interestingly enough, it's still talking about profiling and cases and things like that. They're uh, having their food. Reed is having issues with his chopsticks uh, throughout this whole scene, and they kind of are, are laughing at that. JJ talks about the profile, wondering what the big hole was, because Hotch says there was a big hole in the profile you presented. And Gideon says that he left out the possibility that our unsub may be a cop. They're just as likely to be the unsub in this case. But basically, Reed, uh, Gideon doesn't want to give it away and tell the cops whose help they're going to need that, you know, by the way, it may be one of you. Yeah, it's not, not never a good uh, team building <laughs> exercise. Although, although he said, if it is a cop, though, it's Wilson. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so JJ, you know, starts to help Reed with his chopsticks by tying them together with a little rubber band. Morgan's like, oh, the old rubber band trick. And then they're back on topic. Uh, they start talking about. Every move that cops make are, is scrutinized, and one of the first cases of criminal profiling happened when a New York City cop asked a criminal psychiatrist friend to help with the Mad Bomber case. And I was like, ooh, shout out to episode one, I think, when uh, Morgan was in the bar talking about the Mad Bomber to the ladies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, that was good to hear again uh, about that. Then we talk a little bit more. Basically, it was just sort of a nice scene. And then Ella's like, here we are in New York. Even when we're not talking about the case, we end up talking about another profiler. And uh, 
Hotch says, you know what, Elle, you're right. So you seeing anyone? <laughs> uh, I appreciated that. And then Elle's like, uh, Gideon, what about that hole in your profile? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> deflect, deflect, deflect. <laughs> exactly. But that was a uh, that was a overall nice scene. It's not a character building. You know, if you're going to put a filler scene in here, this is the perfect type of thing. We get to learn more about them. You know, see them interacting with each other, and it's it's just a like I said, it's always such a downer of a show. It's always good when you have like a kind of fun scene like this. And yeah, if you're in New York. You're going to go to Chinatown and eat some authentic Chinese food. That's what you do if you're not a, a local. Like, that, absolutely, you're going to do that. So uh, kudos to the show. Yep. From the restaurant, we cut to a bus dropping off a passenger. And we zoom in to the passenger's hands, and we recognize the twitching fingers of our unsub. We cut back to the restaurant, and Gideon's cell phone rings. He answers. Gideon says, yeah, okay, I got it. Hangs up his phone, announces to the table, this guy just took out a cop killer. I thought there was a nice little moment here. Uh, Kudos to the director, too, because as soon as he says that, Hotch looks up as if he's trying to get the waiter's attention. And, like, the next words out of his mouth are going to be, check, please. But it's not (laughs) appropriate. It would would ring as comedic if he said that. Right. But that's exactly the look of it. He's like... And they cut, so it's like, yeah, that, that he might might even have said it, <laughs> and, and they chose to cut it out, but it was, it was just a right. funny thing. It was like, <laughs> <laughs> so again, I, I I really like this episode. It's just it's just fun. Mm-hmm. We cut back to the police station, and Gideon and as is at a familiar spot, which is looking at a board with all the crime scene photos. Detective Bennett walks up to him, hands him a case file. Says this guy's name is Sean Cooley. One year ago, he killed two Port Authority cops. He walked because the only witness against him was shot six times outside of his apartment. Gideon lets her know it might be worth it to have her men recanvass this morning because people are more likely to talk in the day. They feel safer. Uh, Detective Bennett says she's already on it. JJ hands in, comes in and hands uh, them the newspapers saying more bad news. It's the same reporter every time, somebody named Lance Wagner, and he's practically deifying this killer. Gideon says he's not happy with the results, even when God plays God. Eh, that line kind of fell flat for me, but <laughs> maybe, maybe it was the way I just presented it. Uh, Bennett says some, a few of the men were talking about making this guy a wish list for other dirt bags. And Hutch says a quote, someday a real rain will come and and wash all the scum off the streets. Episode title. And again, it's Hutch, AJ. I feel like he's been on a run. He has, well, only only two in a row, but it it feels more than that. Uh, We've had five straight episodes now with with it after a five episode uh, drought. So uh, yay for episode titles. (laughs) Anyway, Reed identifies the quote as coming from Taxi Driver. So thanks for that, because I didn't remember that. Or And where is Taxi Driver? New York City. And who was our, our, our victim at the beginning of the episode? A taxi driver. It all comes full circle. Oh, <laughs> uh, I see what they did. And he was shot during a real rain. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. 
So Reed does wonder why this guy hasn't contacted the press yet. Hodge says, yeah, Reed's right. This guy's got symbolism. He's got the inflated sense of duty. He should be seeking out the acclaim. And Gideon says, maybe he's not seeking acclaim. Maybe he's on a mission. Maybe it's all about the work. Hodge says, yeah, but the last two victims were a cop killer and a pedophile priest. Those are high profile cases. Reed says he's getting more confident. Gideon says he's growing into his role as the city's judge and executioner. So JJ, I'm proud of her here. She says, you know what? I'm going to check the press archives for any controversial acquittals. Maybe they can target the victim before the unsub and have police waiting on him the next time this comes up. Good job, JJ. I mean, again, JJ, the one person on the team, and Garcia's not with them. She does her stuff back back at the base. But JJ is the one person on the team who's not supposed to investigate and is just supposed to liaise. And she always ends up doing solid investigation. Kudos, JJ. And now Elle comes in. (laughs) And she says... Hey, guys, listen to what's come in off the tip hotline. Which I probably heard three hours ago and I'm only now bringing to you. Yeah. And she has, I guess it's a little handheld recorder. Uh, it looked like a TV remote, AJ. Well, <laughs> I thought it would have been funny if, if, if the channel just switched when she pressed it, but that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, she did indeed have a little handheld recorder. And basically we hear... A couple of quick calls that are uh, praising the killer, like, oh, he's doing the right thing. That kind of that kind of thing. And Elle says this goes on for like 30 minutes. Yeah. So uh, not no bueno. The uh, the reporters uh, deifying appears to be catching up. Yes. Gideon says uh, he's a hero. Reed says exact same thing happened when the Getz New York subway shooting happened in the early 80s. Gideon says, you weren't even born. Reed says, I read a lot. You got to put a pin in that one. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Everybody, we got to do a list. You know, I think maybe on the on the episode uh, details, I'm going to start putting a list of the things we're putting a pin in. Just so no, no, I'll get I'll get to it later today. But yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, this isn't a long term pin. Not a long term pin. Okay. This is a a two scenes later (laughs) fit. Okay, great. Uh, We cut to Morgan uh, and he's outside for some reason, but uh, his phone rings and he answers saying, hey, talk to me, baby. So, you know, who must be on the other line? Yeah. Well, it could be what? No. (laughs) If it is, that's a surprise to me. But uh, of course, it's Garcia. And she's like, who do you love? Morgan says, that depends on what you give me. And Garcia says, oh, don't be such a man. I ran the names of the five victims like you asked. There's no overlap in the arresting officers or the lawyers involved. And Morgan says, do I sense a butt? And she says, a small butt. And he says, that's not what he's jonesing for. Oh, Morgan. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sometimes it's cute. That one was not. (laughs) Yeah. But more, but uh, Garcia does smile and says, you're killing me with all the entendre. But uh, anyhow, <laughs> each one of these guys was processed at a Manhattan criminal courthouse at 100 Center Street. 
And Morgan's like, do you have any idea how many cases run through there every year? She says she's Garcia. So, of course, she does. She says 122,998. But at least we've eliminated four other boroughs. Hmm? Yeah. And I will say, uh, again, uh, eagle eye here watching the video screens in Garcia's office at this point. It's amazing that there was breaking news on one of the video screens with the same damn car chase from way back this season. They repeated the stupid car chase B-roll. I actually peeped that out. I was going to let you mention it if it, if you were going to indeed. I because because of you, I've been sort of like looking for it and there it was. Oh, come on. Come on, criminal minds. That ain't breaking. <laughs> That's done broke. It's broke. Yeah. Broke news. <laughs> we cut to the station and Hotch's is now sort of repeating Morgan's line, which is, do you have any idea how many cases? And Morgan cuts him off and says, 122,998 cases a year. Yeah, um, that was funny. That was good. Yeah. Gideon says, we'll check it out. Maybe there's someone with a history of erratic behavior who works in the building. It could be that there's crime groupies. There could be a security guard that fits the profile. Why don't you get with JJ, see what you can make of her case list. Morgan is like, okay, and Elle says she'll go with him, and they leave. We cut to a lower Manhattan courthouse, and Hotch, Reed, and Gideon are walking up the steps. Hotch is asking if it ever crossed Gideon's mind. Gideon says, what, taking the law into my own hands? And Hotch says, not the law, justice. Gideon wonders, what's this about? And then he says, the boys in Iowa. Hotch I don't know. He seems maybe he seems a little irritated. He says it's just a question. I think uh, Gideon touched think the nerve. Hotch, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Gideon says I think if I ever let my mind go there, then the unsubs would be getting into my head instead of letting me get into theirs, and that wouldn't be a good idea, now would it? And they go into the building, and as they do, they pass the blindfolded lady justice statue that's there. I mean, which is, of course, it's going to be there because it's, it's a courthouse. But, you know, just again, like, this is what's at stake here. We cut to inside uh, the courthouse and a lady is talking to Gideon and saying that the cops have already been down there asking the questions. Gideon says, look, I just want to give you a description of someone. See if he sounds familiar to you. He's quiet. His body language gives the impression he's seen too much. She says, work in this building long enough and we all get this way. We cut to Hotch and he's talking to someone else saying he's small. He's meticulous. You might not notice him at first, but when you do, you realize he's heard everything around him. Reed says he might have had a personal brush with crime. When it happened, he talked about it all the time. But now you realize he hasn't mentioned it in quite a while. And then Hotch says when the, the subject of the vigilante comes up, this guy expresses his support, but it's not something he would bring up in conversation himself. The man they are talking to says, if people are being honest with you, that's most of the people in this building. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, not, so, you're not down in this town there for us at all. Yeah. Uh, basically the same thing the lady uh, that's talking to uh, Gideon has said. The man does look at Reed and asks him how old he is. Reed says 24. The man says, I'll give you six years. Okay, now how old, how, how old did Reed say he was? 24. 24, which means that he was born 
1981. <sighs> yeah. And Gideon said that you weren't born when Bernie Getz happened, but Bernie Getz was 1984. Well, I mean, to be fair, he's four years old. Maybe it's, he... it's Reed, the genius. He was alive. Yeah. The point is you weren't yes. even born and Reed probably should have said, <laughs> not I read a lot, but actually I was. I was born three years earlier. <laughs> <laughs> So snap. I followed the case intently. <laughs> I followed yeah, all the four years old. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's just it's just such a stupid thing to just. It, I would have let it go if they didn't like two scenes later make a point of saying what his age was. Like, come on, it's, it's just annoying, annoying. Plus, he had no problem saying, you know, actually, this dates back to the the case of the Zodiac Killer. When was that case? You weren't even born. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. You're right. It's just like one one thing that nitpicking here because the rest of the script is pretty good, but like, come on. Yeah, agreed. Uh, anyway, this guy is saying, "I'll give you six years." That at that time, a tiny part of your brain is going to start asking, "What if this guy is doing is is not the right way to? What if it isn't the right way to go? Or what if it is the right way to go?" Uh, yeah. So I guess at age thirty, we all lose our, our sense of, of, uh, of moral turpitude. I don't even know if that's right. I just it's well, fun to say. I mean, if that happens at age thirty, I got to tell you, at age fifty, we all start to lose our memory. So I have no recollection of if that's true or not. <laughs> uh, how true that statement you just made is. So. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, Gideon is in the lobby reading the latest New York Quest, and um, <laughs> Reed comes up. He asks him if he's got anything, and Reed says no to you. Gideon says no. He's still looking at the paper, and Reed decides this is a good time to ask about what happened in Iowa. Gideon looks up at him and uh, takes takes off his glasses, says it's one of the first cases that he and Hotch worked together. In a small town, two boys had been murdered. Same signature. Profile led them to the local 4-H leader. They went to interview him. The guy was suicidal. He had a shotgun. Their guns were drawn, and at some point, he turned the shotgun on Hotch. Instead of firing, Hotch talked the guy down, and he surrendered. Reed says, well, that sounds like pretty good work. Gideon says, yeah, but at the trial, this guy's wife gave him an alibi for both murders. It was a small town. They all knew each other. The jurors believed her. And uh, eventually they got this other unsub when he killed another boy. So, yeah, it's, it's not a case where they can personally think they did a bad job. I mean, they caught the guy and the jury let him off. And, you know, eventually they, they got him again. <laughs> they were proven right. So it's not like Gideon Hodge did anything wrong here. But I can, I can understand how just that would still stick with you, especially Hotch, the former yeah. prosecutor. And, yeah, and maybe disillusion you from the whole system as it is. But eventually, Gideon shakes his head and gives him the newspaper. Hotch looks at the headline about street justice and says, this guy's not doing us any favor. Reach says, this reporter's access is unbelievable. He's practically scooping them. Aha, let's talk to the reporter, AJ. Hey, might as well. I mean, he's not going to reveal his sources, but, uh, you know, he might <laughs> reveal his sources. <laughs> <laughs> and who do we send to talk to the reporter first? We cut to JJ. It is her job. This, so is, this is exactly her job. Sense. Yes, absolutely. 
she's talking to the reporter that's been breaking all this story, all these stories. Uh, if we remember, his name was Wagner. But I don't know. All I can see saying, is actor Dennis Butzikaris because he's just one of these, one of these that guys. <laughs> another that guy. Yep. Yes. He's saying to her that the FBI needs uh, help and they get you to do their bidding. And she's like, for your information, I am a special FBI, a special agent. I'm a special FBI agent. How about an FBI special agent? No, no. Apparently, uh, needs the special FBI agent who needs his yes. chopsticks tied together. Oh, God. Uh, she says, look, the rest of the team is very busy. They're in the field. And Wagner says, yeah, they're doing a bang up job, too. She's... Uh, yeah, he's a little snotty. She he does spot her looking at a folder on his desk that's marked that's marked righteous killings. And so he picks up the folder and moves it out of the way. JJ says, look, the fact is you scooped every other reporter in New York. You've even managed to be ahead of the cops. Uh, he says a good crime reporter needs to be better than the police because you've got less to go on. JJ says, well, that's what Agent Gideon was hoping that you would accept his invitation to help. And the reporter perks up, Jason Gideon? The Jason Gideon? He laughs. He says, oh, he used to be one of the best. JJ says he still is. The reporter says, yeah, uh, he had kind of a famous meltdown. And JJ says, yeah, and a whole string of successes since he's returned. I would argue that he's had 11 successes, two losses, and three ties since he's returned. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess JJ didn't bring the barometer with her. <laughs> no, but she brought a whole bunch of snow because she is snowing this guy. Oh, but we need your help. Basically, she convinces uh, Lance Wagner to come in and we cut to Hotch and Gideon talking to him. And Hotch asks him how he put together the vigilante angle so quickly. He uh, apparently covered the trials of all the victims um, they say, oh, you must have a good memory. A lot of killers can't even remember the details from their own crimes. And Wagner says some of the cases just stick right in your brain. Hotch puts down photos of the victims in front of him and says, tell us about the victims. Wagner agrees. He picks up the first photo, says this girl was a waste case. The jury brought the whole addiction as a disease BS. And then he grabs the next picture of this old guy. He was a thug. He beat his wife, but the case fell apart because she wouldn't testify. And then for Serrani, he says, well, he drank and drove. It was a tragedy, but it was the kind of thing that could happen to anybody. So Hotch says, well, what, who do you think we're looking for? What's his background? Wagner says, my guess is he's some kind of crime victim, probably something violent. Gideon asks if he, think this, if he thinks this guy is a hero. Wagner says that, you know, this city makes you swallow a lot of crap. It's hard not to feel for someone who won't take it anymore. Hotch has more photos he's about to put down. He says these haven't been released to the press. They're pretty grim. The reporter says he's seen plenty of crime scenes as Hotch lays out the pictures in front of him. Gideon says we're stuck on the ear. Is that for killing efficiency or symbolism? Why would you stab someone through their ear into their brain? And the tone has all of a sudden changed a little bit. Wagner looks up, sensing that something is up. He's like, what's going on here? Hotch says, profile leads us to believe that he works close to the criminal justice system. What do you think? 
Wagner is it's slowly starting to dawn on him that he's perhaps a suspect. And uh, that's why they're talking to him. Not that he's not there for his report, ace reporting skills. And, you know, kudos to the reporter for figuring this out rather quickly. Mm-hmm. Gideon says the profile suggests that this guy would contact the media. Uh, he hasn't yet. Why do you, why do you think that is? He wouldn't need to contact the press if he were the press. And he also says you're single-handedly turning this psychopath into a folk hero. Wagner says, so what happened? You got your men killed on the job and you think everybody else must be a killer too? And Hotch is very quickly, watch your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> we do not discuss Boston. <laughs> <laughs> Gideon says, it's okay, Hotch. This is not our guy. Wagner's like, you damn right. I didn't kill anybody. He gets up to leave. Gideon says, you're right. You're not the killer. Everything you feel is vicarious. You don't even have it in you to act. Uh, <laughs> this psycho is the last chance for you. You've screwed up all the other jobs you have. You drink too much. You probably have a broken marriage. So it's classic Gideon here. <laughs> you stutter. You, you wet the bed. <laughs> uh, you're actually hoping this guy doesn't get caught for a while. You know it's twisted and pathetic. But hey, you're just reporting the news, right? Uh, Wagner just sort of nods at him coldly and, and leaves. Yeah, like I said, Gideon turns full Gideon, and, and he probably wouldn't have if he hadn't been uh, uh, Boston hadn't been brought up. <laughs> right. So this was a deserving uh, revenge type uh, attack from Gideon. There, I kind of liked it. Yep, I agree. Now, next we cut to a city park at night. Uh, and CR hooded unsub standing in front of a water fountain. And a man starts to walk up to him and he goes, hey, hey. And the unsub just immediately pulls out a gun and shoots him. The unsub goes over to this guy's body, flips him over so he's face up. And he listens to his chest as if he wants to see if his heart is still beating. Something felt a little off about this scene, AJ. But uh, right. I guess we'll get to that we'll in a get few that. minutes. Yeah, you're right. Maybe it, it didn't. It didn't quite match the scenes that we'd seen before, certainly, as opposed because all the other scenes have the hooded guy going towards, and this is a guy coming towards the hooded guy. It, just, it was a little off, yes. Mm-hmm. We cut back to the police station, and Detective Bennett walks up to L and says, The reporter is not the unsub. L says, Yeah, we know, but how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> and Detective Bennett says, Well, there was just another shooting in Central park Derek says uh, you said shooting what about the rest of our signature detective Bennett says the officers heard the shooting and and ran up before he could do anything so and he ran off before they got there and this victim happened to be an undercover cop which which is horrible and all that stuff but uh, that wasn't Central Park <laughs> thank you that's why I said some city park because I wasn't quite sure. Look, because it, you know, look, we—I'm from New York originally, and Katas lived in New York, so New York—you're not going to fool us with the New York stuff. At best, it's Columbus Circle, but it's not Columbus Circle because there's not a rotary with the cars around. But the statue kind of hints that it might be Columbus Circle. But at, at the other end, you got the Plaza Hotel, and that's kind of what it looks like. But again, there's no statue there. This isn't Central Park. It's it's a, it's a park that's made to look like Central Park, but it's not Central Park. I didn't even recognize that part of the skyline. 
Oh yeah, like, <laughs> so... it, it, it's just not. It just the, the streets and car, <laughs> the way the traffic's moving around it. It's, the Central Park is there. You, you don't have street yeah. traffic. It just it's, except that around the edges, and again, it's Columbus Circle on one end, which it's certainly not, and you got the Plaza Hotel at the other end, and it's not that either. So, yeah. If you're gonna do a killing in Central Park on a TV show, it's got to be under the bridge. Yes. <laughs> the the uh, you know that bridge. <laughs> That's where the Central Park murders. The Bow happen Bridge. On TV you talking shows. about the Bow Bridge? <laughs> yeah. oh, God. I'm talking about the Jeff Bridge. Is <laughs> no, uh, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's certainly I, there's there's the famous Bow Bridge, which you, where you can see a bunch of hotels and skylight there. There's Sheep's Meadow. Yeah. You can do that there. Belvedere Castle. Yes. This was none of those places. <laughs> uh, you didn't like my Jeff Bridges joke. I was, I was, I was, I was, it was a stretch. It was a stretch. Okay. You told a joke, Lydia. I was just moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, at the police station, we see now a hooded figure walk in. And I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Too much time left in this episode. But <laughs> anyway, a, a hooded figure walks in and uh, we see his face says, I think you're looking for me. Um, he has a gun. They So they all yell at him to put his gun on the ground. He's saying, no, no, you don't understand. I did this all for you. We're in this together. <laughs> We're all in this together. <laughs> Worst high school musical rendition I've ever seen. Oh, boy. We do come back from what was apparently a commercial break, and we see our suspects through the glass window being interviewed by Gideon. Elle is saying this guy's name is Will Sykes. He's a security guard at a boutique in Soho. Morgan says he was a mugging victim last year, spent a couple of days of, in intensive care. Uh, Reed mentions, well, this fits the profile. Uh, Elle asks how it's going on in there, and JJ says this guy's just confessed to all the murders. All the murders. We go inside the interrogation room. We see Detective Bennett is there, too. She asks Sykes what he was doing in the park. He says it was full of animals, muggers, scum, drug dealers. I knew one of them would try to prey on me. Gideon says, well, this is not your usual method. And uh, you usually target them. You don't let them target you. Sykes said, I made that point. Now I'm making this one. You know, and I'm still I'm still trying to get over the fact that the Will Sykes, Bill Sykes, the character from Oliver Twist, who is a murderer, and I'm like, uh, pick a better name. Of course you're right. Sykes says, if you hunt us on the street, you will die the way you lived. Okay, that's his point. Great. Bennett says, so why did you turn yourself in now? Sykes says he can't change the city without help. People need to be inspired. They need to see me. They need to hear my voice. Gotta get your head in the game. Gotta, gotta get your head in the game. <laughs> One team, Wildcats. One team. <laughs> I can't get over high school musical. Okay. <laughs> so Gideon says, well, tell us about the cab driver, Durbin. Sykes says, oh, he was a thug, a wife beater. Gideon says, and the priest... Sykes says, well, what's to know? He preyed on young boys. And then Gideon asks an obvious to us trap question. He says, is that why you stabbed him in the groin? Sykes says, yeah, it's what he deserved. 
And when Bennett looks down because even she knows this isn't our guy. Yeah, thankfully she's not being stubborn like a lot of the cops we've met along the way so far this yeah. season, and I'm sure we'll meet again. Was like, no, it's him, it's him, I know it. Like, yeah, okay, it's not him. You rasm rasm. Cut back to behind the two-way mirror, and JJ is asking why would this guy confess to murders he didn't commit? Uh, Morgan says it's because he has narcissistic delusions. He wants the glory. He wants to be a star. JJ says he went into that park hoping somebody would mess with him. Gideon and Detective Bennett walk into the room, and he's telling her that he killed her undercover cop, but not the others. Uh, So where does that leave them? Reed says they know that Unsub has a heightened sense of right and wrong. If he knew that he inspired a would-be vigilante to murder an undercover cop, maybe he might feel some remorse. Gideon looks at JJ and asks if she thinks she'll be able to mend fences with the reporter Wagner. JJ says, yeah, if I play to his ego, yeah, I can do that. (laughs) JJ said, I'm not the one who tore down the fences with the reporter. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll clean up your mess, Gideon. Sure, no problem. (laughs) Uh, Gideon says, hey, that's great. Now we might be able to actually draw the unsub out. We cut to a shot of the undercover cop's funeral. And we see then that the team is watching it on on a television in the police station. And what uh, did you happen to notice that this television, the police station, is WDCW one? And I'm just like, why is this a DC television station when you're in New York? Clearly, they couldn't say New York one, which is what it is. Yeah, and I DC. actually had the same thought. Don't pick DC yeah. Washington. I mean, just, clear- <laughs> don't put just put a random WNY. Two or, or, or WNYD, anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just put, You're right. Yeah, plenty of ways you could do that. Uh, put CBS one. You're on CBS. <laughs> just put a little CBS logo. You could do that. And for some reason, uh, this funeral service has excellent multi-camera <laughs> action. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. As they watch, Reed says, uh, Wagner said this morning that the cop's blood is all over the vigilante's hands. So Hotch asks how J.J. got him to co- cooperate. Gideon says the unsub may feel a need to be there to physically mourn for what he caused. If that article lures him out, Wagner gets to claim that he caught a murderer. It's the ultimate scoop. Ultimate scoop. Ask for it. If I would love to go. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Bennett asks how they'll know if they can spot this guy. Gideon says he briefed her men. The unsub will be alone, out of place, not speaking to anyone else, probably not making eye contact. Hopefully he'll panic and draw attention to himself. The the bagpipes are playing at the funeral, and Bennett shakes her head and says she can never get that sound out of her head. It wakes her up in the middle of the night. If there was any justice, cop killers would have to hear it for an eternity. That's a that's a really nice monologue she has, and it just goes when you have a, a Broadway actress, even in a small role, give them a monologue. She she knocks mm-hmm. this one out of the park. It, like it, it really, if it was like one of these local yokels who played by nobody, you'd be like, what? no, no, move on, move on. But like, this is a character you don't really care about, and you're just like suddenly, like, oh, I'm interested in what she's saying. <laughs> uh, Hotch's phone rings. He answers. It's Morgan who says. Something's funky. He's there. Tra- <laughs> Something's funky. It's my rhythm. Bow, tick, bow, bow. Uh, yes. He's there trying to get 
transcripts from the victim's original trials. And he thought maybe there could have been a disturbance at the courthouse or maybe the unsub even might have made himself unknown. And Hotch is like, yeah. And Morgan says, here's the thing. There's no records available yet from the cabbie's trial. The clerk told him that the average court reporter is about three to six months behind in transcribing those notes. Hotch walks outside to Gideon and Reed, and he's telling them this. And he says, anyone that means anyone who knows the details of that case must have been in the courtroom. Gideon says court reporters take their work home with them. Hotch says they get paid overtime. They take their notes home with them, and then they finish transcribing them at night. So Gideon says, you know what Bennett said about not being able to get the sound of the bagpipes from out of her head? Maybe that's why the unsub stabs the ears. Ooh, that was a nice little connection. Yes, yes. Reed says that killers often harm their victims in ways that they themselves have been harmed. And Hotch says court reporters are a faceless cog in the machine. They sit there day in and day out transcribing the testimony. Gideon says, what if the voices wouldn't stop? When you left the courtroom, the witness at the church said that the unsub was playing a, a piano like motion with his fingers. I says, yeah, or transcribing. Yeah, I, I, I uh-huh. like I like that piece being brought in and like, you know, the, the, it's coming together. I don't think we needed like the, the 33 overstatements of and court reporters are invisible. And he heard the things over and over again and he couldn't stop hearing the things. This could have been condensed a little bit, but yeah. Bringing in that that seemingly uh, random finger motion at, at this point is a really nice tie-in. Well done. Well written. <laughs> Garcia is, gets a call from Hotch, and he needs the names of all the court stenographers in each of the original trials. She clickety-clacks, and it's the same guy every time, one Marvin Doyle. Hotch says to cross-check him against the crime records, see if he's ever been the victim of a violent crime. She clickety-clacks and says, uh, no, not him, but his parents were both killed in an attempted robbery in 04. Hotch says, yep, that's his stressor. Is this guy still working? Garcia says, 100 Center, courtroom number 103. Hotch hangs up and says, we got him. Yeah, I, you know, again, look, I love Garcia and I love the for expedient sake that she can go clickety-clack and get us whatever information we need, except it really stands out when she goes clickety-clack and says, I'm going to need 15 minutes. Like, (laughs) that's the only problem with this. Like, you now have established how good she can be with clickety-clack. So when she doesn't clickety-clack, you now have to explain every time why she couldn't clickety-clack. And whether or not those hold up, we'll have have to chart going forward. But clickety-clack works. (laughs) <laughs> so we cut to the team entering courtroom number 103. They flash their ID to a court officer and ask if the uh, stenographer there is Marvin Doyle. Court officer says, no, Doyle called in sick. Hotch looks around and he sees a picture of, of Lady Justice and he, he realizes that they were in this same courtroom just the day before. Reed says, oh, that means he probably saw us. And if you go back and rewatch the scene where they're talking with the guy who tells Reed that uh, he's too young and he's 24 and everything, our unsub is indeed in the background cleaning up his court stenographer station during that scene. So well done, Criminal Minds. Very well done. I didn't go back to confirm that. I did. uh, (laughs) That's why we have you, AJ, because I I, I just read the notes 
You give them nuance. And clickety-clack, he was there. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Hotch says to the officer, oh, we're going to need a warrant. Gives him his ID to take to the judge. Can you just do that <laughs> in the middle of an operating courtroom? I don't. I don't think he meant he needs the, the warrant right this second. I think it was more like, could you let the judge know that we have a situation here, and here's my ID, so they can see it's a federal. You know, I. You know, I think it's probably a little more uh, time consuming <laughs> than just yo yo chop chop. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like they just stopped him in, his, in the middle of business and said, yeah, we need a warrant right now. I, I, That's what I like to yeah, imagine. I mean, <laughs> it's a bit of a yada yada. But, you know, I do think that the bailiff immediately went up to the to the judge and said, yeah, we have a situation. You know, I, so I, I think it did take get taken care of rather quickly. And we know this because our very next scene, we cut to our team wearing their bulletproof vests, knocking on the door. There's no answer. Marvin Doyle, FBI, open up. Gideon gives a cop a signal, and the cop gets to kick oh, in the door. And Morgan is just sulking in the corner of the rest of the episode. <laughs> yes. They run through the apartment, clearing it out, yelling clear. You can see that the windows are still covered up with aluminum foil. Gideon comes in, sees those windows, and says, oh, he's got to keep the voices out. Reed is searching around. He sees a bunch of family photos on a chest of drawers. However, someone appears to be X'd out and big, big black marker. Perhaps in, they in all used the photos. a Sharpay. <laughs> <laughs> Elle announces <laughs> that this guy has ripped the speakers out of the television and the radio. And she's also found a life insurance check for $250,000 that's two years old and has never been cashed. Gideon looks at it and says, oh, that's because he won't accept blood money. Reed holds up one of the photos uh, from the desk with a man and a woman. The woman is obscured and X'd out, like I mentioned before. Hotch finds a box full of flint knives, says there's got to be a hundred of them. Morgan shouts out, guys, come take a look at this. He's found a stenography machine, but the keys are all worn out. Gideon is is looking at a bunch of the stenograph paper and he says it looks like he was trying to transcribe the voices in his head and he just couldn't keep up. Elle looks at the stenograph paper and says, well, it looks like hieroglyphics to me. Reed explains for her and for us, it's basically a phonetic set of symbols. No court reporter takes notes the same way. They're the only ones who can translate them. Gideon says, yeah, he's getting paid overtime to study potential victims. Hotch says this guy knows we're on to him now. He's in a race with us. Someone targeted in one of these boxes is going to die. They need to get into his head and figure out who so they can stop him. So they each grab a box to start searching as we fade out for a little yeah, break. I, I do like the fact that everybody in the scene finds something different. So it's like everyone has a purpose for being there. I mean, sure, one person could have found all the things. Or just, But at least if you could have put all of them in the scene, have them each have... A, point like i found the picture oh yeah i found a check i got a rock i found a flint knife i found a steno machine i got a rock you know (laughs) use everybody who's there and and yeah at least point out the fact that we have 150,000 cases it seems here like we have a mountain of boxes full of cases all right everyone grab one let's go through it it's not going to be like and i opened this one and look here it is (laughs) like they're going to hunt for it so well well written uh taking the cliche scene and at least doing it right 
So when we come back, there's a lot of boxes. Morgan is asking, how are we going to narrow these down? Gideon says, check to see if the case ended in an acquittal. If it hasn't, then obviously we're going to throw that one aside. Hotch says it has to be a capital case. This guy is escalating. So the more brutal, the more better. L asks why they shouldn't go by the most recent cases. And Reed says, judging by this guy's elaborate filing system, he obviously has obsessive compulsive disorder. So people with OCD often finish tasks and then go back to the beginning and start over. Morgan says, so he's continually goes over the transcripts and the first one that triggers him becomes his next victim. Al says, here's a here's one case, a liquor store owner who was shot with his own gun. Hotch tells her to flip, her to flip it to when they present the defense and see if the defendant testified. She says no. And Hotch says, let's stick with the ones where the accused took the stand. This is personal. He hears their voices. Gideon also points out that all of Doyle's victims claim to be a victim themselves. The first two threw themselves on the mercy of the court pleading alcohol and drug dependency. Uh, The priest said he was a victim of all the recent hysteria. Hotch says, let's look for these key phrases, victims, mercy, anything that signifies that the crime wasn't their fault. Reed says, oh, I've got one. It's Ted Elmore who shot and killed both his parents after claiming self-defense after four years of physical abuse. Gideon says, hey, Doyle lost his own parents. Hearing someone get away with killing their own would probably haunt him. And we cut to a mugshot picture of who we presume to be Elmore. Only now we're in a car and Hoodie McTwitchy Fingers is the one staring at the photo. He's parked on a street and we see Elmore himself walking down the street. Our unsub starts to get out of the car and move towards him. Gideon grabs his phone and a woman picks up uh, the call and Gideon asks if Ted Elmore is there. She says, not right now, but can she take a message? Gideon says, who's this? The woman's like, this is his wife. Who's this? He says, my name is Jason Gideon. I'm with the FBI. Cut back to the street. Elmore starts to enter the apartment building. The unsub rushes behind him and grabs the door just as it's closing and follows him in. Cut to Elmore opening the door and coming to his apartment and his wife is saying, honey, the FBI is on the phone. But quickly, the unsub comes up behind Elmore, who turns around and our unsub shoots him. The wife screams. Gideon says, Mrs. Elmore, Mrs. Elmore. She doesn't answer. Gideon hangs up, looks around, says, come on. (laughs) At least they know they got the right place now. (laughs) Yeah. We cut back to outside of the apartment. The street is filled with cops, cop cars, sirens are blaring, SWAT is running up, Detective Bennett is already there, the, the bow so pulls up, and the team gets out. And I'm just wondering where they were in relation, like how much time has passed, because this is New York City. And if they were, you know, more than five blocks away, uh, this has got to have been some amount of time here. Yes, however, they, they do get around the situation. Of, in a normal, uh, oh, the guy's going to kill them in the house, sure, this is way too late. But we're talking with an unsub here who has a directed sense of who he's going to kill. He doesn't want to kill the wife. There's right. no no need. So she's not really in any danger, just like he didn't kill the old lady at the church. He's one victim, and that's Mr. Elmore. So really, the fact that it took a lot of time makes sense that he would still be there, you know, he trying to figure out what to do next. 
Right. This is a different situation. The other time he didn't have uh, somebody innocent there to witness. So yeah. now he's got to figure out what's up. Right. Because he's like, part, 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 you know, it's like, I can get away with this, but I have to kill her. But I don't want to kill her. But maybe I'll just run. But he's not dead yet. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah. And meanwhile, those voices are still chattering away. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you, you don't want to leave them there too long because at some point <laughs> the, the time runs out. But I'll give them enough time to, to get there. And probably not too far. You know, if he works near the courthouse, maybe the guy lives near the courthouse. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll give him benefit of the doubt. OK. Very fair. So anyway, Gideon uh, gets out of the SUV and tells uh, Detective Bennett, she thinks she can talk this guy out. Detective Bennett says, I got snipers up high. And if they get a clean shot, they got orders to take it. Gideon says, look, we may be able to re- reason with him. Uh, he doesn't want to have an innocent hostage. We rushed him along. Uh, he has an exaggerated sense of right and wrong. Bennett says, and so do I. Which <laughs> was a good line. It's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they got authorized to shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh Gideon says talking is worth a shot. And I thought that was a poor choice of words. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he says talking is worth a shot. He straps on his bulletproof vest, hot sees him and decides he's going to go along with him. We cut to inside the apartment and our unsub Doyle is seated against the wall. He's got Elmore barely conscious, pulled up next against him, which is also conveniently blocking him from sniper fire. His hood is down, and holy Neelix, it's Pete. <laughs> that is to say, our unsub is played by Ethan Phillips, who was Neelix in DS9, but I always fondly remember him as Pete from the show Benson. Indeed. How old am I? Fairly <laughs> old. I got a, a Benson reference in there. Um, he's yelling, shut up, shut up, shut up. And at first, I thought he was yelling at the wife. But then I realized he was yelling at the voices that are throughout all of this continuing with their chattering on. Mrs. Elmore says, hey, this guy didn't do any. Well, not this guy. She says, this guy. (laughs) Why did I write this guy? She says, he didn't do anything to you. Doyle tells Elmore to tell her, tell her how he lied, how he killed his parents and pretended they'd been hurting him. Elmore says, they did hurt me. And Gideon and Hotch enter the apartment and point their guns at Doyle. And he threatens to kill Elmore. And Gideon says, then you wouldn't get to hear the truth. If he admits the truth, the voices will stop, right? Doyle shakes his head, says, no, they always lie. And outside, Bennett is asking her snipers if they have the shot. They don't at the moment because Elmore is blocking their shot at Doyle. Hotch says, let's... Let's interrogate him. Put the gun down. We're the FBI. We'll get the truth. Gideon says, Marvin, I'm going to put my gun away. and We're going to do this together. Okay. He holsters his weapon. But of course, both Marvin and Hotch don't put their weapons down at this point. Gideon says, look. And he kneels down and he says in a mean accusatory voice to Elmore, tell him the truth. Tell him how you lied on the stand. And Elmore is still insisting on his story. He says, they did hurt me. Gideon looks at Doyle and says, don't listen to them, Marvin. Doyle says, if he dies, then they'll go away. 
Hotches, and you think they won't come back? Beverly, Iowa, 1999. <laughs> 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 I'm kind of st- struck by how he all of a sudden went into this uh, this little bit, but uh, it was effective. Anyway, he says, a man kills two boys only to walk away free and kill another one. Doyle is shouting, stop it. Gideon says, Haskins, Georgia, last year. Three white guys kill a black teenager just because. Four witnesses see it. The jury finds him not guilty just because. Hotch says, the first two boys were 14 years old. The third was only 12. Doyle is yelling at everybody to stop. Gideon says, it doesn't stop. Uh, Hotch says, Diallo, Blake, Simpson, T. Cullen Davis. Gideon says, you can't kill fast enough to keep up. I promise you. Doyle says, they killed my parents. I'm so tired. Gideon says, Marvin, listen, listen, just give me the gun and I promise you I'll give you a, I'll get you a place to rest. Marvin looks up at Elmore and then he lets Elmore drop to the floor. He looks like he's maybe putting the gun down, but I'm not, it's not a hundred percent clear because he's coming forward with it instead of going down with it. There's, there's a bit of ambiguity there and I think it's intentional. Yeah. We know that at this point, the sniper has a clear shot. We do hear a shot and we see Doyle crumple down. Uh, but then we see Hotch's barrels. I, it looks like it was smoking as if Hotch is the guy that actually has taken the shot here. Well, I think... Is that how you interpret it? Yes. It? I, I think it's it's interesting because it is ambiguous. Uh, but like you said, the sniper now has an open shot. The smoke is coming from inside the room, so it's probably Hotch's gun. But it's 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 never discussed. So I think that's kind of intentionally ambiguous. Was he going to give himself up? Was he going to shoot Gideon? Did Hotch interpret it that way? And is that why he shot? Like, did he shoot? Like, it it I, I like the the mystery here. It's like sometimes the truth isn't known. Yeah, and when I say smoking, it wasn't like a big billowing, <laughs> like clearly obvious. It, yeah. I, I wasn't really sure. Who took the shot? So I mean, it, yeah. it, it, you know, push comes to shove. I say Hodge shot him because he didn't put the gun down. He leaned forward with the gun and could have shot Gideon at that point. So yeah. uh, do I think that was his intention? No. I, I think that it appeared that Marvin was about to go to rest and okay. But you know, you don't know. And Hodge wasn't going to take that chance because he was just talking about the, the boys from Iowa again. <laughs> And it all serves to sort of amplify the point that they're about to make with the closing show quote. Yes, as we hear strains of hallelujah, hallelujah. Yes, yes, we hear hallelujah. We get the the slow motion montage of people milling about after something tragic has happened where we see both an ambulance and a coroner's vehicle, I assume that we can assume that that our unsub is dead and uh, the ambulance is for the the other uh, gentleman, Elmore, and that perhaps he's going to make it. That's what I'm assuming, but that's just all in my head. They don't particularly make well, that clear. Yeah, you're never going to know. I mean, look, Elmore is, is wheeled into an ambulance. And Marvin is wheeled into a coroner's vehicle. So the, the juxtaposition at least led you believe that he's not dead yet. <laughs> he's got a shot. Right. right. Ooh, I said shot. I should have said shot. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So yeah, Hallelujah is playing. The team is milling about the area. And we get a closing quote voiceover from Gideon. Gandhi said, better to be violent if there's violence in our hearts than to put on the cloak of nonviolence to cover impotence. And then AJ, in what I believe to be a series first, we get a rebuttal quote. Mm-hmm. And Hot says, Gandhi also said, I object to violence because when it appears to do good, the good is only temporary. The evil it does is permanent. And it's interesting because if Hotch is the one who shot Marvin, exactly. as we believe, he's the one preaching nonviolence in the close quote. Where, you know, it's kind of, whereas Gideon was like, oh, but go ahead and shoot him. <laughs> yeah. And Gideon was the one saying, hey, let me talk him out of this. Right. Let me do that. So I guess it all boils down to it's complicated. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, they switched it up. Uh, then uh, our episodes, our episode ends with uh, a series of men in the street interviews with different New Yorkers giving their take on the case. Uh, and I'll just go through them each sentence. Imagine it's a different person. <laughs> and I'll put my acting skills on display here. Uh, he got what he deserved. He only did what the rest of us wish we could do. I feel safer when he was alive. This is why we need gun control. The guy's a murderer. He got his own death penalty. I say he's a hero. They only killed him because they were afraid no jury would convict him. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Indeed. I'll End say that it's not my place to get involved in politics. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, I, I I really enjoyed that episode, AJ. What what did you think? Yeah, I you know we don't do we don't do a thumbs up thumbs down, but we would definitely give it a thumbs up. I I, I thought it was refreshing. I said like the pacing like reflected the environment of New York City. We got some character moments, like a couple nitpicks here and there, but overall, I thought this 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 is Criminal Minds. This is why we like the show. This this is definitely quality hour of entertainment. Uh, I I uh, I thought it was very good. I thought it was well written. Like you said, there's a the, the couple of nitpicks here and there, but even in the nitpicks, I felt like were for people like us who are being yeah, nitpicky yeah. and and not something <laughs> not something maybe somebody watching would normally pick out. Um, but uh, yeah, and it was. I think this is the first episode that we have that was directed by a woman. Uh, so good. Uh, I thought she did a great job. Yeah. Uh, You know, yeah. It's not always, yeah. I just thought that was an interesting uh, side note. Representation matters. (laughs) And uh, and there we go. Uh, But now we have our important question, which is our barometer. And uh, we want to know, AJ, did the team win this week? Yeah, did the team win this week? And you know what? I am going to have to call this one a push. Definitely, uh, from the time they took the case, there were three deaths, and that's not good. And yes, they did rescue the Elmores. Uh, They got the unsub, but Hotch had to kill him in a questionable situation that even if it's justified, is going to leave some psychological scars. So, you know, I don't expect them to always be perfect, 
but I don't know that they definitely did a great job. It got the job done, but there's lingering issues. So push. Okay. I actually thought it, thought it was going to be a loss. So that's pretty good. I, I, I felt like, uh, I don't know, the undercover cop, while not direct, again, it's not, it's never directly their fault. Like, they can't be everywhere at once. They can't. Yeah, although uh, I think this is less their fault because this is the reporter's fault more than their fault. Yeah. And it's not like they were oblivious to it. They tried to reel it in and just, it just, it, they can't stop everybody. So, yeah, again, uh, push. <laughs> All right. So good. Now it's time for the part of the show. Uh, that we both enjoy so much, uh, you have a little quiz for me, right? I do. I do. Uh, three trivia questions inspired by uh, the whole Criminal Minds thing that we've been watching here. I do my Beat My Guest podcast where I do trivia. And I like to bring a little flavor of the trivia here into Felonious Pundits. Question one. I mean, you stole most of the first part of this question by revealing that Ethan Phillips, our unsub, appeared on Star Trek Voyager as Neelix and Pete Downey on Benson. I mean, <laughs> you clearly know who we're talking about here. So therefore, the rest of this question should be easy for you. Oh, of course it should be. Um, so Ethan Phillips, in 2010, appeared in a movie as a character named X-13. Uh, and the plot of this movie was that a, a secret government agency has been trying to create the ultimate killer using the DNA of two infamous serial killers. Which two serial killers did they choose? It is also the name of the film in versus format. Okay. Uh, versus format. So we're talking like... Like Alien versus Predator. Like... Freddy versus Freddy Jason. Versus J- Jason. These are two uh, serial okay. killers. I don't remember this film. I'm guessing it wasn't a big blockbuster. No, no, it uh, was not. <laughs> um, I'm going to say this is just a random guess. I'm going to go with uh, how about uh, Gacy versus the Ripper? <laughs> That's my guess. Gacy versus the Ripper. Oh, I don't know. so close. So close. No, this is Dahmer versus Gacy. Oh, yeah. I thought you might. I thought it was there was the three. I, I thought it was going to be Manson, Dahmer, Gacy that people would pull from there. But it is yeah, Dahmer versus Gacy was the name of the film. Uh, oh, oh, oh. Well, close. it's OK. So close. I, I wasn't going to pull it. Okay, let's see if you can pull this one. Uh, Vincent Musetto died in the year 2015 at the age of 74. He was responsible for the most famous New York Post headline of all time, which was written about a crime in 1983. What is this famous or infamous headline? Not the New York Quest, the New York Post. <laughs> yeah. This is going to be another one of those that I'm going to go, oh, of course. But I, yeah, when you get to a certain age, AJ. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't want to tap out, so I want to invent something. What happened in 1983? Was that a big year? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if this has to do with the Gets thing, but I think 
I've already told Gets you that was, was 1984. Yeah, there you go. All right. Reed was three. <laughs> I'm wondering if it was a sports headline. I mean, it's a possibility. I don't know. Uh, I'm going to say the shot heard round the world. <laughs> okay, sure, sure. I, I believe that was probably in, in usage, you know, since the Revolutionary War, but okay. <laughs> no, this is a, a headline that has inspired uh, parodies and references on The Simpsons. And it's just, it's one of those things in the pop culture zeitgeist. This is uh, a, a woman went in and decapitated her boss. And the headline on the post was headless body in topless bar. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that before, but I, I wasn't going to pull that one. Ugh. Fair enough. Fair enough. Darn it. Yeah, well, we still have one more question left. And of course, it's my favorite question of the week. It's the question where I give you multiple choice as to what the plot of next week's episode of Criminal Minds is going to be for us. Uh, is going to be a season one. Episode 18, wow, we are, wow, we're moving along. It is called Somebody's Watching. Somebody's Watching. Okay. And no, it has nothing to do with Rockwell. <laughs> mm. <laughs> All right. Is the plot A, L is in danger when she is used as bait for a serial stalker? Is it B, Garcia's expertise is needed when the team tries to catch a peeping Tom who uses his victim's webcams. Is it C? JJ narrates the episode, a BAU case taken from her point of view. Or is it D? Reed and a hot Hollywood actress hit it off, but somebody's out to kill her. <laughs> Here we go again. I find all of these to be plausible, and always I hope it's L is in some kind of danger. <laughs> but uh, I feel like we've probably already done that for this season. Uh, but that doesn't mean she can't be in danger every week, almost. But I'm gonna go for C. JJ. Uh, Explain uh, the case from JJ's point of view. JJ narrates a case from her point of view. Wouldn't that have been a really good episode? I would have loved to have seen that. <sighs> Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Believe it or not, Reed and a hot Hollywood actress hit it off, <laughs> but somebody's trying to kill her. Wow. <laughs> you did not see that coming. I am stunned. That was the least likely as far as I was concerned. Uh, and that's what wow. makes it so easy to make the other choices. <laughs> yes. Somebody's watching. Somebody's better be watching Reed. Apparently he's play a player. Morgan better be uh, seeing what's happening here. Oh, I Boy, can't I'm use not even going to go there, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but next week. <laughs> All right. Uh, good. Well, that sounds like it's going to be fun. I can't wait. Hopefully, uh, hopefully I'll uh, enjoy the episode as much as I, I enjoyed this one. Folks, that's the show for this week. Thank you for joining your felonious pundits, Kintad Svensgaard and AJ Mass. Uh, if you have time, please be sure to subscribe to rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. 
please be sure to spread the word. Let your friends know about us. You can write to us at feloniouspundits at gmail.com. You can follow us on our Twitter, which is at podcast underscore pundits. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Have a great time this week, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye, and keep profiling. Wheels up. Gandhi also, also said, if I had no sense of humor, I would long ago have committed suicide. Excellent.